Are you familiar with the prepper movement? Do you know what it means to be a prepper? I know that some of you do because I know that some of you are. (laughs) So being a prepper, do you understand the idea of being a prepper? The idea is that you anticipate some potentially very devastating event that might happen in the future. It could be a, a natural disaster of some sort. Another might be a war. It might be civil unrest. It might be any number of things that would cause a breakdown in the regular supply of goods and services. And so you need to make preparation. Uh, you make preparation to deal with this potential thing that might happen. And maybe you stockpile some food so that you would have food in the case of an emergency. Maybe other kinds of necessities that you need for life. You, you are prepping. You're making preparation. You know, I would argue that that's not a bad thing to do. Uh, I'm, I'm actually sympathetic with that mindset that that would be good to be in preparation. Now, I say I'm sympathetic to the idea. I'm not so much so, though, in practice. In actual practice, I think Cindy's got two cans of beans on a shelf, and you know that, that's that's the extent of our preparation. So we understand the concept; we're just not too good at carrying it through. But making preparation—that's the idea. Today, we want to look at a Bible episode where God's people were no, were were told God's people were told to make preparation for a horrendous event that was about to happen. And he told them to be ready, to make preparation. We're going to talk about that in our study this morning. Before we get to that, let me stop here for just a minute to thank you all for being here. It's a good Lord's Day morning in Middle Tennessee, and we are blessed to be able to come together to worship God. And we thank you for being here to be a part of it. Uh, we're encouraged by your presence. Thank you. We've got a number of visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. We're always open to your questions about what we're doing here at College View or why we do it the way we do. Let your questions be known. We'll try, to, we'll, we'll try our very best to give you a book, chapter, and a verse of Thus Saith the Lord, because we're very much about having Bible authority for all that we do as we serve God together here at College View. Thanks for being here, everybody, today. We appreciate you so much. All right, I want you to open your Bibles and read with me from Exodus chapter 12 about this event that was about to happen and the preparation God said for his people to make. Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. Speaking to the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth month of, uh, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next into his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make you, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall Take it from out of the sheep or out of the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat it, eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast it with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, 
and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of, the, of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Well, I think you know that story very well. It's a, it's a familiar account to us. Uh, about the establishment of the Passover and what it was to commemorate. Uh, that's the story. I think you know it well. Uh, but let's just review the details about the Passover lamb and the striking of the blood on the doorpost of the house so that the destroyer would pass over those houses. Concerning this Passover lamb, several things I think are worth noting. Uh, for instance, a universal catastrophe was about to come. Uh, God did not single out the Egyptian households for this doom. Instead, uh, unless some action was taken, every house would be touched. And so this was a universal problem to be dealt with. Now, it's clear that God did not want his people to suffer this destruction. Uh, however, he didn't just automatically spare them from this plague. He could have. He could have just said, well, I, uh, the, the, the destroyer will pass over and he'll just pass over the houses of the Israelites. I'll just tell him to do so. He could have done that. It's clear he didn't want his children to suffer from the destruction, but he didn't automatically spare them. Instead, he gave them instructions. And if they followed their instructions, if they followed those instructions, then uh, it would avert the destroyer. If they followed, they'd be spared. If they did not follow the instructions, it's clear that they would not be spared. I want you to think about this. Following those instructions had no particular intrinsic merit. It was not so that when the angel of death passed over the land of Egypt, it wasn't so that he looked down and thought to himself, I want you to look at that. I want you to look at that house. I want you to look at how artistically... They painted that blood on the door pass. That's special. Those people are special. Those people are particularly talented. I, I don't want to destroy those people because they seem to be extra good at what they do. There was no particular intrinsic merit in blood on the doorpost. There, there, there wasn't anything in that that would merit them being spared. It wasn't their skill. It wasn't their wonderfulness. But it was God's instructions to follow. Let me tell you that the blood of the Lamb was effective for one reason and one reason only. And that's because God decreed that it would be so. It worked. This plan for sparing the Israelites from the destroyer, it worked. And the blood of the Lamb was effective in sparing them simply because God decreed that that was the plan and that's what would result in them being spared. All right, that's the story of the Passover lamb. And I think you know it very well. But for your consideration this morning, I'd like to point out that the things that are, were true back then are true for us today concerning 
our salvation, and in particular, uh, being baptized for remission of sins under the covenant of Christ, there are some, I think, direct parallels to be drawn to this Old, Old Testament account of what happened with the Israelites. Think with me for a minute concerning baptism. First of all, let me suggest to you that we face a universal catastrophe. Now, again, in all of these things, I'm going to want you to see the parallel between baptism and the the Passover lamb. God's judgment is coming. And it won't be limited to just a a bunch of really terrible people. Uh, You know, uh, maybe there's Hitler uh, in Germany and there's, there's Stalin in Russia. Uh, there's Mao in China. There's Pol Pot in Cambodia. And these guys, and you just take those four individuals, and they literally murdered millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions of people. Surely there's a very bad judgment from God coming for people like that. And then, of course, people, maybe not on such a big scale, but there's some people even in, in our knowledge and in our own areas, in, this, in, in our community and in regions nearby. We hear about it in the news. There are some people who do some really terrible things, murderers and rapists and so forth. Surely God's judgment is coming upon horrible people like that. And we would say, yes, of course that's true, but they're not the only ones who are facing this coming catastrophe of God's judgment. In fact, everybody's going to be subject to his judgment. In the text that Logan read for us earlier from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 7, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Christ. I want you to focus here on this expression, dealing out retribution. The idea of retribution is almost sort of like the idea of payback. Uh, and it, it, it's describing something that you deserve. The Lord is going to be dealing out what people deserve when he comes. Now, retribution actually can be used in a positive way. You might get positive retribution, but most typically it's used in regards to punishment, as it is here. The Lord's going to be doling out, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus uh, gave a sort of description uh, of the judgment scene. Matthew 25, beginning verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then will He sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these shall go away into eternal punishment. Uh, Do you see the, the universal scope of what we're describing here? And so all the nations will stand before the Lord in this final judgment. And again, we, we, we maybe concentrate on some of the really bad, bad people, historically bad people, currently living bad people. And God's going to judge them. When the Lord Jesus comes in judgment, uh, those people are going to get what they are due. And that's true. But don't overlook your inclusion in what's coming. Don't, don't you and I ever make the mistake of thinking, well, this judgment of God is for people like that. It's for us too. 
In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we always link that with Romans 6, 23, which says the wages of sin is death. Again, wages are what you earn. And so what we earn, because we also are sinners, is that we deserve this punishment. We deserve eternal death. So there's a catastrophe coming, and it's coming for all. Just like in the case of the Passover, when the destroyer passed over the land of Egypt, it was passing over all the houses in Egypt. Uh, None were exempted. All the houses of Egypt were being passed over by this destroyer. And unless certain preparations were made, those in every house would suffer the consequences. But, as we said about the Passover situation, God didn't want the Israelites to suffer this destruction, and God doesn't want us uh, to be destroyed in the final judgment either. He desires, actually, that all be saved from this destruction. This is one of the clearest truths, I think, that we can find in Scripture, that God wants everyone to be saved. We've got some friends, you and I have friends in the general religious world that teach otherwise, that God really doesn't want everybody to be saved, that God has predetermined some people for salvation and everybody else for destruction. Very often we link that idea with the teachings of John Calvin, one of the early reformers back 500 years ago or so. Uh, We actually talk about Calvinism, the, the system of theology that resulted from his teachings. But he had this idea. He wasn't original with it, but he popularized it. And people still follow this notion that some folks are chosen to be saved, but everybody else is determined to be lost. And that just simply is not true. The truth of the matter is that God desires all to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. How how could you make that any plainer? God desires all people to be saved. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow about His promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I don't know how that could be stated any plainer how that truth could be made any more clear than it is. And so, while this catastrophe is coming, God wants people to be spared from it. Just like He wanted the Israelites to be spared from the destroyer passing over the land of Egypt, God wants us to be spared from the destruction which is coming. For us, just like it was for them, God has given instructions so that if they are followed, we can be saved in the final judgment. God gave instructions, and the instructions are easy enough to be understood. I I, I imagine a lot of the husbands and dads have had the experience that I have had. You know, you get something, a a toy or a household good of one sort or another, but it's in a box and it's all disassembled. And and so you open the box up, and there's there's the assembly instructions. It's pretty certain that the person who wrote these assembly instructions did not speak English as their primary language. And so you're trying to decipher what does that mean? And so put this, and you're supposed to put this part there and connect it with this fastener there. But it's just really not clear. It's very confusing. Thankfully, that is not the case with the Bible. Most uh, people 
who are experts and have analyzed, tell us that the Bible is principally written at about a middle school grade level reading ability. So a 7th or an 8th grader, a 6th or 7th grader, they ought to be able to read the Bible and understand it because that's the level upon which it is written. And that's really, really important because we need to know the instructions. We, God's given instructions. We need, need to be able to know them, understand them, and apply them in order to avoid the punishment that is coming. I want to do a very simple exercise with you here. Let's just walk through the very simple plan that God has given, the instructions that He's provided for us. It's simple. It's not difficult. We're familiar with the verses. And people need to understand, this is what you do to avoid the catastrophe that's coming. So let's just go through these. All of these, you know them by heart, I hope. In John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We emphasize God loved the world. We just talked about the fact God doesn't want anyone to be lost. God loved the world. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right, so we're going to talk about that believing. What does that believing involve? What's included in that? Well, again, the verses go on. They're easy to understand. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So this belief or this faith, those terms used interchangeably, of course, it comes by hearing. So the faith that you need in order to be saved is based upon the truth that's found in God's Word. So you must believe you get that faith by hearing and having heard the Word, then it's absolutely essential for you to believe what's contained in the Word of God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So you have to hear And based upon what you've heard from the Word of God, you've got to believe that. Then, you've got to act upon that faith. Romans 10, verse 10 says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's that belief again. But now notice that that faith or belief has to be put into action. Here, you have to make a verbal confession of your faith in Jesus in order to be saved. So you hear, you believe. You must confess that you believe in Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. But that's not all. In Acts 2, verse 37, when the assembled crowd on Pentecost heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent. Stop there for a minute. You've got to repent. That's another thing you've got to do. Based upon hearing and believing, you confess your faith in Jesus, you've got to repent of your past sins, turn from them, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, So, there we have it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's not difficult to understand. And our question would be, have you done that? Have you taken those steps? You must do that in order to avoid what is coming. Judgment is coming. Punishment for those who are unprepared is coming. Have you done that? And you know, just as a side note, I would challenge those of us who are Christians already. Can you share that information with other people? Do you know that plan well enough that you could take someone aside who is not prepared, who is not ready for the impending judgment? Could you take someone aside and 
and give them that simple step-by-step instruction, here's what to do. We all need to be able to do that. And if you're not, I just challenge you to go to work and learn those verses and be prepared to share that information with others. Are you seeing the parallels here between the Passover lamb and, and all that was involved in that scenario and us concerning our salvation? Now, we're not expected to sacrifice a Passover lamb. That was for those people, for people of another time. They absolutely had to do it. That's not instruction for us, but we have instructions too. And only by meeting those conditions, by complying with those instructions, can we avoid the universal catastrophe which is ahead for mankind when the Lord comes in judgment. Baptism has no instinctive merit. It does not earn our salvation. Again, I want, to, I want you to see the parallel here. When the Israelites painted the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts and lintel of their house, did that make them worthy to be spared? Could they say, God has to spare me now. I painted blood on my doorpost. No, there wasn't any real merit in that other than it was meeting the conditions that God set forth, complying with His instructions. And that's the same thing with baptism. Baptism itself has no instinctive merit. It doesn't earn us our salvation. Baptism is not a good work that convinces God that we are worthy or that we deserve eternal life. Baptism is not that. Uh, it, It is not the kind of situation where the Lord in judgment will say, Wow, look at that person. Look what an amazing, meritorious work they did. They were baptized. I have to save them. It's not like that. We're not earning our salvation when we are baptized. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm, I'm sad to note that here's, here's a couple of verses that are so often misused and abused. But in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 8, it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. What kind of works? What kind of works does he have in mind? So that no one can boast. So there's no works that you can do by which you would be able to brag or boast and say, look at me. I have earned my salvation. God has to save me now. It's not like that. As we're saying, being baptized, there's no intrinsic merit in being dunked in water. It doesn't earn you salvation when you are immersed in water. But it is necessary for salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Peter plainly says, Baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not a meritorious work. We don't earn our salvation when we do it. There's no merit in it to speak of other than it's what God told us to do and we have to do it. So I think that's an important point to stress. The instructions for the Israelites didn't have any unique merit. No, it wasn't because they were so good at painting blood that they were saved. It was because it's what God said. As we pointed out, the blood of the Lamb was effective for that reason, because God said that it would be. And the same sort of thing in a parallel is true about baptism. Baptism saves us because God in His mercy has provided this plan through the atoning death of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Yes, baptism saves us. I, I want to really emphasize that. Baptism saves us. That's, we just read that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism now saves us. And any and all who, dis, who would deny the necessity of baptism are wrong. They are ignoring plain statements in the Word of God. But having said that, we would go on to add that the only reason baptism works is because God established this plan and He empowered it through the sacrificial death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Baptism works, it saves us, but only because of what God in His mercy has done for us through Jesus, His Son. In Titus 3, verse 5, Paul said, He saved us. Okay, let's just take this step by step. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. I I would draw your particular attention to the washing of regeneration. That's baptism. The washing of regeneration is baptism. And so we're saved not because we have done works of righteousness to earn our salvation, but because He's a merciful God and following this plan which includes baptism, we can be spared from the judgment which is coming. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 18, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb was essential for the Israelites. They needed a lamb, and so do we. And God has provided that lamb for us, His own Son, and his precious blood. Well, I hope that you agree there's kind of some interesting parallels there between what the Israelites needed to do in regards to the the destroyer passing over the land of Egypt and what we need to do in order to be ready and prepared for the judgment which is coming. Think about those Israelites just one more time. Think about those Israelites for just a minute. Wouldn't it have been so utterly foolish for the Israelites to say, I don't see why we have to do that lamb thing. I I just don't get that. It it, it doesn't make any sense to me that killing a lamb and painting its blood on 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 the framing around my door of my house, I just can't see that. I don't, I don't understand how that could do anything or be effective for any reason. How could that possibly work i don't i'm not doing that i'm just not doing that because i don't understand it and besides all that the israelite in his mind says i think god loves me enough already and 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 i i think god's going to save me no matter what whether i do that or don't i don't think it matters because i think god loves me and he will save me irregardless now would you agree with me that that would have been completely foolish for the israelites to say that in their minds or to anybody else to actually verbalize those kind of thoughts, it would have been ridiculous. Man, I'll tell you, get out there and get a lamb. Kill that lamb. Prepare it as was instructed and take the blood in particular and paint it on the doorpost of the house. You do that or else. And by the way, don't you think that if there was some Israelite who for some reason or another had missed out on that instruction, don't you think all of his neighbors would be saying, man, get busy, get your lamb, get the blood. Paint it on your doorpost. Everybody would be saying so, and nobody would be arguing with that. People today, though, make those exact same kinds of arguments about the instructions that God has given us. 
And the instructions that God has given us are so plain and so clear. Baptism is not the totality of those instructions, but it's clearly a part of the instructions that God has given in order to, for us to be spared in the judgment that is coming. What about you? If we act in faith as the Israelites acted in faith in regards to, to this Passover event, if we act in faith as they did, then we can be saved by God's mercy as they were. What about you? Are you ready for the impending judgment? If you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Earlier, we, we went through the simple steps in the plan of salvation. Not hard to understand. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you've not done that, we hope you make that decision. If you need more information or more study, just say so. We'll be glad to study with you in that regard. If you are already a Christian, but you've not been faithfully serving your Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.